0: it's important we look at the facts why why
1: Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared I
0: believe
2: in independence and he clapped like a seal hello and welcome to the latest planet hollywood i'm paul hutchin political editor of the daily record and i'm absolutely knackered that's what happens when you have back-to-back political conferences i was in liverpool for Labour, and I'm just back from Aberdeen where I was uh, at the SNP conference. So, helping me stay awake this morning are the Daily Records chief writer, Anna Burnside, and our right wing pantomime villain, Ben Borland, who's also the editor of the Scottish Daily Express.
1: Good so to you both. <laughs> Hi.
2: Oh, no, he <laughs> isn't. You, you're all right with that intro, Ben. You're not going to sue me, are you? No, no, that's fine. No, that's that's my, that's on my business card. Absolutely, that's what I thought. So let's get cracking then, SNP conference. Um, The main bit of business was probably on the Sunday where they agreed their latest independent strategy. Now, what they agreed was that if the SNP wins a majority of general election seats in Scotland, that will trigger independence talks with the UK government
0: Ben, thoughts? Oh, Where to begin Um, I mean the situation that we've found ourselves in is that I think someone summed it up on social media very very neatly at the moment the SNP has 43 MPs but has no mandate for talks on independence, they could lose fourteen of those and end up with twenty-nine MPs, which would be, be a majority, and and they would have a mandate to break up the United Kingdom. I mean, there's it, it, it's so ridiculous. It, it just once you start to pick apart the, the, this argument, it just falls to pieces. I mean, there's six hundred and fifty MPs at Westminster. And the idea that that having just 29 of them would be a mandate to to start ending the country is, is quite frankly, nonsense. I mean, you can also... You can argue that Nicola Sturgeon's original de facto referendum plan was misguided and, and wrong when she said that a majority of votes for the SNP In a general election, could be taken as a vote for independence, but I guess at least they at least trying to replicate what would be necessary in another referendum, Mm -hmm. i.e., fifty percent plus of of the vote. But you know that that immediately fell down because the SNP's never managed to get fifty percent of the vote in in an uh, in an election. Even in twenty fifteen, they only got forty nine percent. Um, and, and pretty much swept the board with every single constituency in the country bar three. So it, th- that was never going to work. So he set the bar at tw- a majority of uh, of MPs, which I ran this through some of the electoral uh, prediction calculator websites, and you can achieve that with 35% of the vote. Mm. So the, the idea that a 35% of the electorate backing your policy amounts to a mandate to break up the country i just it baffles me i mean pete Wishart and the express probably don't see eye to eye very often but i thought his argument at the conference was very very compelling when he said look this plan is going to be laughed it's going to be laughed out of the building in any international arena you know the SNP are going to have to go to the UN and say, look, this is this is our mandate for setting up, you know, for, for ending the United Kingdom and setting up a new country on the world stage. And 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 they're going to say, well, what 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 you know, what's the justification for this? Where's your evidence that people in Scotland support this? And, it, and it's oh, well, we've we got 35 percent of the vote. It just just doesn't work. It's got to be 50% plus of the vote, or or it doesn't fly.
2: Let's just go through the alphabet here. So plan A was a joint agreement with Westminster. That was turned down. Plan B was a unilateral Holyrood referendum. Judges uh, KB'd that. Plan C was Sturgeon's de facto referendum, which, as Ben said, was 50% plus one of the votes at the general... I think earlier this year, Hamza said it would be a majority of seats.
0: Um, I, think, I think at one stage he said it was going to be most seats. Most seats. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah, that right. was optimistic,
1: wasn't it? Most that's seats. Right. Yeah, those and days are gone.
2: Majority. So I, I, I can't actually remember which bit of the alphabet we're on, but I mean, well, I all F G. I don't know.
1: I mean, Plan F. Plan F just does sound as if you're throwing things on the wall to see if you can make them stick, doesn't it? It's a very unimpressive strategy. You know, you have to feel for Hamza, with this horrendous cigarette paper he's got to balance on, you know, he's got to deliver something to a room full of, you know, ardent nationalists who are pawing the floor for independence. But then they and he have to go out and sell that to the country and as our alphabet soup shows nobody has managed to come up with a strategy that pleases both of those constituencies and that anyone is going to take seriously. I mean, the thought that with whatever 35% or, you know, if you want to be generous, but more than that of the vote that um, Hamza can walk into a meeting with Keir Stammer and start hanging the table and saying that this is one. I mean that's just not going to work. Kirsty, I was just going to say, Erno, you know, next next meeting, please. You know, he's going to be texting while this conversation is going on. You know, it's it's an absolutely uh, dead duck, and uh, yeah, I mean you're right. You know, I'm just going
2: to show up at Downing Street after the election. He's not going to be allowed in at Downing Street. It's just, you know, being. I mean, I'm sorry, mate. Exactly. You know, coming in. I mean, I, I get you know they have to have a line on independence. I get that. It's just it's not a credible line. No. I, I, I didn't speak to anyone, um, no SNP delegates uh, conference who believed that winning a majority of seats was going to lead to independence talks. They just, just, they just didn't believe in it.
1: And Did they so- think they were going to win a majority of seats? I mean, that's that's really the first hurdle they have to overcome in this scenario, isn't it? Did they think twenty nine was a feasible number? I think
2: that the general feeling is that they're going to go down, Labour will go up and it's where those two things meet. So they, they don't know how low they're going to fall, but they, they accept it's going to be a very difficult election for them. Um, do you not feel, Ben, that independence has slipped from the radar of Scottish politics a bit? Because, you know, Night the Club was quite skilled in giving the impression that indeed F2 was just uh, about to come up. I mean, many of us didn't believe it was going to happen but some of our supporters did now it, it just feels like it's it's in the in the distance it's you know you can't even see it on the horizon i, I think it has yeah it's
0: definitely slipped from the the radar um i, I mean the in, in a way if you put aside the, the the fact that this clearly isn't going to lead to independence negotiations it's actually a fairly crafty reframing of what would otherwise be a landslide defeat. it <laughs> could slip to 30 or 31 MPs and in any other general election, that would be a disaster. That would be, you know, the SNP's lost over a third of its parliamentary group in, in one night. It would be, you know, a bloodbath. Whereas actually he can now frame 20, as, you know, as low as 29 MPs as a victory. It's I mean, whether that will work, whether people will see through the fact that, you know, the, the, the heading surely for, for major losses, it's just a question of how big. And is he really going to try and reframe a massive reduction in his parliamentary group as a victory, not only for, for the SNP, but for, for independence? Yeah, it's just, it's not fooling anyone. Let's be it. You know? It's not fooling anyone, and, and, and I, I yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the, I think we'll probably talk about this later. But you know, it, it's it's quite something that such a radical policy on independence for me wasn't the big takeaway of the conference. That the council tax freeze yeah. clearly is going to affect more people. More people are already talking about the fact that they're quite pleased they're going to have a few extra quid in their pocket next year but how on earth do we pay for it so, so that this bombshell idea of of how to end the union has actually been overshadowed by quite a you know a, a run-of-the-mill type tax giveaway policy um and we will come back to council tax freeze um
2: but let's just turn our attention to Hamza's predecessor, Nicola Sturgeon, who I think by common consent didn't leave him with a um, <laughs> great outcry uh, to deal with earlier this year. Um, she showed up at a conference as well, uh, upstaged Hamza. Um, all the attention was on her for uh, quite a period of time. Do you think it was a mistake for her to, to show up or do you buy the, the SNP spin that she's a member like anyone else and, and is perfectly entitled to, to come to the conference?
1: It's a lose-lose for them, isn't it? I mean, if she didn't go, it would have been Nicola Snubb's conference. So maybe better just to get it over with and have her, you know, have it happen and air that's it done. I mean, I think the bigger issue there is that the SNP have a real problem about what to do with their old leaders. You know, a normal other Westminster political parties, um, former leaders quite often go to the House of Lords or they continue to have a role in government. Other parties I think are cleverer about giving them a job to do that puts some boundaries and constraints on them. Um, I think the SNP, because it doesn't send people to the House of Lords, has massively failed to do that. You know, it allows a Salmon situation. If you have a character like Salmon, because they they then have a remit to do whatever they want, you know, that, that's the route that leads to programmes on Russia today and the Alba party. Mm. So I don't think, I don't think that's going to be what um, Nicola Sturgeon does, you know, that I don't think that is her master plan, but I do think the party, now it's a, obviously this was, years ago this wasn't an issue because, you know, their leaders just, you know, I don't know, retired and and went to farm or something. I don't know what they did. But now it's a big issue because, you know, having been the First Minister of Scotland does a a status and, you know, she's always going to have that status. She's always going to have that labour. So the party now is a, a growth issue. The party now has to come up with a strategy of what they do with their former leaders and how they deal with them. Or that huddle that was, you know, the kind of media event of the conference is going to be repeated ad nauseum.
2: Anna, you seem to be under the impression that Alex Salmond caused problems for Nicholas Sturgeon. Um, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where you're getting that from. Um, I know. That's news to me. Who could have Not thought a, that? So. Um, and do you think Hamza would have welcomed Nicola's presence at conference?
0: Uh, No, no, absolutely not. I I don't know what they were playing at. I mean, if she was going to go, why not just go from the start? If she'd have been there from Sunday morning when it got, it was all very slow getting going, you know, the the reports of lots of empty seats in the main hall on Sunday morning. If she'd have been there from the start, this, you know, this (laughs) Elvis-style delayed entrance wouldn't have happened. She would have just been amongst the, the, the crowds milling around. Um, I'm sure there would have been attention on her. But the fact that she waited until mid-afternoon on Monday, when it was literally the middle of the conference, when everything was just getting going. And then suddenly, Nicola Sturgeon's here, quick, rush to the, the, the atrium. Um, I mean, it, she, she, she clearly loves all that. You know, she, she's perfected these late surprise visits at Holyrood and, and she, she obviously thought I'll, I'll do the same at, at, at conference. I mean, I think it shows to me that Hamza Youssef has, has absolutely no control over her. She still sees herself as his boss and she can do what she likes. She can turn up at conference, steal the limelight, overshadow all the other ministers who were making speeches at that point and you know, it, it was a, a, a bit of a sort of passive-aggressive show of strength by Nicholas Sturgeon, as if to say, "Don't remember who's, you know, who's who's the big fish in this in this pond." Do you think um, Humza would be peeved by it? I don't, is he bright enough to be peeved by it? I, I don't know. I mean, a harsh. Harsh. He's a bright guy. <laughs> he's a bright guy. I mean, he's. I, I don't know criticise himself he's got he's got lots of problems in his you know in his his family at the moment and he's in a very very difficult position i think last week was ironically his, his best week as first minister i thought after um you know some some early uncertainty around what his position was i thought he came across as very statesmanlike i thought mm. he's he's Speech at the synagogue in newton Mans was, was excellent. and, and um, so, so, no, I mean, I'm not trying to d- diminish what he does. I just don't know if he's got the power as a politician, even though he's the first minister. He, the, 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 if anyone with any control over his party could have stopped that. And, mm. and, and Nicola Sturgeon just waltzes in there as if she owns the place. Yeah, didn't, I think they, did, didn't
2: they didn't want that. I think the advisors could have had a quiet word with um, Nicholas Sturgeon said, Louis it be better. Yeah, well, of what, what We obviously don't
0: listen.
2: Yeah. Um, Anna, let's turn to an issue that you wrote about in your column this morning. I wrote about it a couple of days ago as well. It was the main policy announcement in the First Minister's keynote address on council tax. Now, to give listeners the, the background, mm-hmm. Scottish government had a consultation um, on planned council tax rises for, I think, properties in band E to H, and those rises would have been between seven and a half percent to twenty-two and a half percent. Labour hammered the SNP on this in the Roggillan and Hamilton West by-election, and lo and behold, in the conference speech, Humza said that uh, there wouldn't be any rises. There would be a council tax freeze, which was one of the um, main policies pursued under Alex Salmond when he was first minister. Now, my view is that this is a policy that helps the wealthy. It helps people who um, could easily afford a two or three or maybe a four percent rise. It starves councils of vital resources and it it is basically something that damages the poor. Um, What's your take, Anna?
1: Yeah, absolutely the same. It, it, I think it's a retrograde, a really retrograde move. I do. It's hard to see it as anything other than than blatant electioneering. It's the playbook that the Tories adopted after the Uxbridge by election, where they discovered Ulez as a wedge issue. Um, suddenly, after that, um. You know, the motorist has become the new oppressed minority and Rishi Sunak is going all out to to protect the motorist. They've seen that this is an issue where they have an advantage over Labour. This is the SNP's um, reaction to having had this game played on them. Labour had identified this as a wedge issue where they could gain an advantage over the SNP. Um, Rutherglen is exactly the kind of constituency of aspirational home owners who would be really hit by this increase. Labour made that a campaign um, centre post and, and it worked. And so they're rolling that out throughout the party. They're saying, no, we cannot let this happen again. And so they've been this council tax rise with no no thoughts or none that we've heard about about how they're going to fill this gap. Councils are absolutely on their knees. You know the the outcry recently when North Lanarkshire had these really really wide ranging plans to shut basically everything that provides fun that's funded by the council in North Lanarkshire. They were going to have to close. Now they have turned that around, but you know that just shows that councils need more money and. Then at conference, the the SNP announced that actually no, well you ain't getting it from a an increase in council tax. So uh, it's I, I found it a, a very um, I found it a very bad look actually. It's a very bad look for the SNP. It just says we're going to shore up our vote amongst middle class voters who benefit from this policy, and um, the rest of you can suck it up.
2: Ben, this was pretty much a response to the Rutherglen massacre, wasn't it?
0: it uh, seems to be seems to be i mean I, I, again um while i recognize what what you and anna are saying about council funding and the way this sort of structure works i, I, I can't help but think this is going to be a, a very welcome freeze for for people But bills have been rising for years we you know, we're struggling with the cost of living crisis. We're struggling with the cost of food, the cost of uh, fuel, the cost of heating our homes. I don't know how long this this freeze will go on for. Obviously, when Alex Salmon brought it in, it lasted for seven years. I can't see that um th- that being repeated. I-, I just think if it's you know a one year freeze, well, I get the arguments that obviously people with higher council tax bills benefit more from a freeze than those with lower council tax bills you know th- th- there's always some kind of payoff when you freeze taxes that people who pay more benefit more that's just that's unavoidable if you're going to if you're going to freeze or cut taxes um i just think after after the past few years that we've all endured i mean i, I personally and I know our readers were very, very worried about the 75 to 22.5% increases. I mean, some of these increases were, were huge. They were colossal. I, I'd have been happy if that was dropped, I have to say. I think a lot of readers would have said, look, phew, breathe a sigh of relief. hums has gone further and he's gone for a, a council tax freeze. And, you know, for while I recognise the difficulty in cancel funding, if they can find the money to fund this, I think it will, you know, it will help people next year. I
2: just feel like it's a
0: completely desperate move. I mean, they've moved from one extreme to the other.
2: So they've moved from the extreme of 7.5% to 22.5% rises, mm-hmm. which are extreme, to then going yeah. to the other end, which is a freeze. I mean, surely there's a sort of, there is a sort of, Mm. Happy medium,
0: or maybe funding a cap like two, three percent, something like that. Yeah, I mean, so, sorry, but I, I just on the optics, though, if if they'd had just dropped the planned huge increases for bands E to H, mm. that would then be seen as oh, it's a tax cut for the rich. And what do people in bands A to D get? They get nothing because yeah, they they, they allowed themselves. To be pushed by the Greens down this road of considering a really sort of hard left, massive tax hike for people in larger houses, and and if they'd have gone back on that, that then becomes well, you've you've cut taxes for people in bands E to H. People in bands A to D are getting hammered by the usual three, four, five percent hike. So so it was a difficult one to back out of,
1: really. They've also set themselves up with a whole lot of new problems, haven't they? because I mean, it doesn't seem like any of the kind of key stakeholders in this knew much about it beforehand. So now they've enraged the stuC CosLA, and the Greens um, the, who are now, you know ready to get their pitchforks out on this issue. So they might have they might have, um, you know, bought themselves some gains on one hand. But they've also, I think, set themselves up with a whole lot of long-running, annoying um, problems that that aren't that aren't going to go away. I mean, COSLA are not going to take this lying down, are they? They are absolutely raging about this.
2: Yeah, as you say. So, uh, councils were not in the loop. They didn't tell the Greens until the morning, and it's come out this morning that it wasn't even approved at cabinet level. I mean, regardless what you think of the uh, decision itself, that doesn't really strike me as a way to run a government. It strikes me as you know, a way of getting some headlines for a conference speech, which we've seen many times before under Nicola Sturgeon, and, and invariably the big conference announcements don't seem to materialise and amount to much. So I think we have to watch this one very carefully and see if it actually happens in the end.
0: Um, sorry, Ben, you were you were on to come in. I was just going ve- very, very quickly, just on the Greens if, if the UK government had announced a tax freeze like this, the Greens would have gone off the deep end. It would have been... The, the rhetoric would have been incredible. It would have been evil. It would have been punishing the poor. It would have been... The, how, it, it, it would have been described in the most outrageous terms possible when their own government partners pull a similar move it's like, oh, right, well, we weren't informed about this, but we'll work very hard with... Count- there, there was no criticism. There was no... You know, they're so two-faced on, on these, these issues. If the Greens had any gumption, they would come out and, and uh, attack this. But, you know, uh, how, how, can, how can anyone, when they criticise the UK government's tax plans, how can anyone take them seriously in the future?
1: I thought the Greens had criticised this. I mean, they maybe not in the... Very, way, very
0: mildly.
1: Ways. I mean, Paul, did you think that was mild, their criticism of it?
2: Um, it was a very green sort of criticism. I mean, I <laughs> think it could have, been, could have been a lot stronger on it.
0: Uh, imagine what they'd say to Rishi Sunak if he cut taxes. And then imagine, and then compare that with what they said when their own... Government partners cut taxes. Fair enough, fair enough. Well,
2: um, just one final thing before we go a good week, bad week. I mean, I've been very critical, we, we all have, of the independence strategy that was pushed through and the, the dog's breakfast of the council tax announcement. But, um, Anna, Ben alluded to this earlier. I don't want to get into the weeds of the, the war in the Middle East, but um, it's been a very bruising week for Hamza and his family. Um, his in-laws are trapped in Gaza, he spoke very movingly uh, about what's happening and the impact on his family. Um, I mean, he has come across well, has he he not, in the last seven days in terms of meeting members of the Jewish community, speaking about the personal toll. um, I I think that um, voters who might have been doubtful about him will will have warmed him over the last few days.
1: No, I completely agree. I think he's really stepped up. Um, I think he's been extremely dignified, extremely statesmanlike. I think he's really stepped into the role as the first elected Muslim in a Western democracy, which you know we should not underestimate what an achievement and you know what a great first that is for him personally to have achieved. And I think he absolutely plays a blinder. And I I couldn't really. I have no notes on his um, in his performance in this area. I think he's he's done really really well.
2: Do you agree, Benny? He's really sort of stepped up as the country's first minister, not just for yes or no, but he's
0: really tried to, to speak for everyone on this debate. Uh, yeah, as I said before, I think he he, he looked very statesman like. Um, I mean, again, I don't want to get as you say into the weeds of. Of, of of the war and, and some of the um you know it's way way above my pay grade I I, I I think hums has done a good job in very difficult circumstances um I just you know hopefully his family can can um, get through this and, and and his mother and father-in-law can get back to Dundee and uh, you know, and, and also the, the the rest of the family escape as well i think he's you know obviously it's it's been tough for him um and, and he's done a good job yes i agree um Anna, good week
2: bad week let's start with you
1: okay um good week um Marcia scott the head of um Scottish Women's Aid. So, one of the other announcements at SNP conference was a fifty thousand pounds fund to help women to escape from domestic abuse and violence situation. This will be parceled up in one thousand pounds grants. And I know there's been some questions raised about the practicalities of how this will be rolled out and how how you get this money to women in these dire circumstances and all the rest of it. And I, you know. Be interested to see how that, hope that all gets ironed out. But I think as a headline statement, as a thing to do, I think that's a great, fantastic initiative from the Scottish government. And and Marsha has played a blinder in um, working behind the scenes to make this happen, to pull this together, and on other areas of um, violence against women. Um, So great week for her, fantastic achievement, and a, a credit, I think, to the Scottish government to do this
2: and who's in the doghouse
1: well it's not so much in the doghouse I mean my heart slightly goes out to John Alexander who's the leader of Dundee City Council so there's only one for politics facts fans um will already know this there's only one majority SNP council in Scotland and um, there's quite a few that are um minority led or coalitions but John Alexander's majority SNP council over the council tax freeze because he's he's in Dundee yet which brands itself as such a yes city he's going to have to make this work and explain how they're going to pay for swimming pools and personal care and all the things that councils um deliver to everybody. So uh yeah bad week for you John sorry sorry mate.
0: Ben over to you okay uh good week um This may be a controversial choice, uh, but Lisa Cameron, Dr Lisa Cameron, uh, the SMP MP, who has crossed the floor to the Conservatives. Uh, I enjoyed watching the scenes at uh, Westminster yesterday when she was cheered to the rafters by the the, the Tory benches. Um, No no matter what you think of the decision, I think in in PR terms, what a bombshell. I mean, how to to grab the headlines. She could have she, she could have left the SNP and sat as an independent. I mean, she, she could have gone to the Lib Dems or the or, or, or even Labour and that might have made a few waves. But to to cross the floor to the Conservatives, ju- just sensational in terms of media coverage. And, you know, she's going to go down in the history books. And who knows, perhaps she's blazed a trail for other Right-wing uh, nationalist, maybe Fergus Ewing will be tempted to join Douglas Ross's group at, um, at Holyrood. P- perhaps others will say, "Do you know what? It's not, it's not the end of the world." Rishi Sunak's a nice guy. He listens to, to my concerns and doesn't ignore them. Per- perhaps I'll join the Tories as well. I, I would, I would encourage any wavering uh, SNP members on the right of the party to to, to follow suit. And so is it bad week Rishi
2: Sunak who now has to
0: deal with Lusakami? Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I, I do know she's been very sort of cagey about whether she still supports independence. There's, there's been a lot of well, well, she of, hasn't been
2: cagey. It. I mean, two weeks ago at a hustling, she said it should be the top priority. Well, um, <laughs> she did. But, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. she two weeks is yeah, a long time definitely in politics. She said
0: she's changed her mind. She sort of says... Sounds credible. Like Sounds her. credible. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that bad was a way. good story, to be fair. But, but it was um, a good story. It was a good story. Um, and <laughs> uh, who's your other one? Uh, bad week in in a similar vein to Anna, uh, Shona Robison, the uh, deputy first minister and uh, finance secretary, who was already facing a one billion pound black hole in the Scottish government's budget, has now got um, two conference promises to to fund. Uh, The council tax freeze and I think 300 million for for the NHS, um, which could send this black hole up towards 2 billion. How she's going to pay for this, I have no idea. I suspect that despite all the the promises, councils will just be told, tighten your belts, close the swimming pool, close the library and uh, pay for it yourselves. Yeah, I think she
2: said this morning on GMS, uh, or she hinted that she was expecting more Barnett consequential from the UK government, and also that tax revenue forecasts might be slightly better than anticipated. That would be good. um, The black hole might be slightly smaller than... Mm -hmm.
0: Maybe if the Scottish government weren't so avowedly anti-motorist, there might be more money from North Sea Oil tax receipts to pay for this kind of thing, but
2: there you go. There he is, the partner mine my villain, always <laughs> having the <laughs> last words.
1: All he's missing is his cape.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, I think that wraps it up. Um, thank you to Anna and to Ben again. Um, I think Holyrood is back next week, so I think we'll have Planet Holyrood after First Minister's questions, so I hope you can find the time to tune in.
0: It's important we look at the facts. Mm. Why? Why?
1: Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared.
0: Because I believe in independence.
1: And he clapped
2: like a seal.